This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is December 5th. Markets have really tanked um, from the beginning of today. Right now, the S&P is down 1.94. We see 10-year Treasury has gone up a little bit, sitting at 3.603. Ultimately, you know, Wall Street routes gaming stream as we really think that, um, you know, we're, we're going to see some more interest rate hikes. It's, you know, going to be continuing gradual and we don't seem to be easing up a lot. Um, yeah, Tim, let's let's talk about what's what's going on this week so far. Yeah, well, I mean, to recap last week, I, I think there was away from the non-farm payrolls, and I know we'll get into that. Uh, I think what was extraordinary was the Lael Brainerd speech. She is the vice chairman of the Fed. She's number two to Powell, uh, and she has historically been seen as a dove. But she gave a speech to the Bank of International Settlements, and then the next day, Powell came and reiterated some of the points that 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 she made. And why I think it's extraordinary, part, partially, is because it really confirms, or at least the Fed is agreeing with what we've been talking about. And anybody who follows us know that we think there's been there are two really big secular drivers that are going to make inflation really sticky. And that is labor inflation is going to be sticky and energy inflation is going to be sticky. Our point is not that labor and, and oil inflation aren't going to come down cyclically. Of course they will. The Fed is engineering a recession and, and that is going to raise unemployment. That's going to take oil prices lower probably. Um, but over the longer period of time, I just want to pull out a couple of the comments from Brainerd's speech. She wrote, due to the challenges such as demographics, aging demographics, my deglobalization, climate change. When she's talking about climate change to me, she's making the point that we're making that the issue isn't so much climate change itself, but the underinvestment in traditional energy that it begets uh, could herald a shift to an environment characterized by more volatile inflation compared with the preceding few decades. It is the relative inelasticity of supply the key inelasticity of supply that she's talking about is workers. We have a worker shortage and we don't have more workers coming to the fore because they don't exist or because they just don't want to join the labor force. It, it is that that most clearly distinguishes the pandemic and more affected period of lesser years from the preceding 30 years of the great moderation. Again, that is exactly what we've been saying, that, that you've had supply shocks that the Fed could look through. These are supply shocks that aren't going away. She finishes the speech with this line, a protracted series of adverse supply shocks could persistently weigh on potential output or could risk pushing inflation expectations above target in ways that call for monetary policy to tighten for risk management reasons. More speculatively, I don't think it's that speculative, it is possible that longer term changes such as those associated with labor supply, deglobalization and climate change could reduce the elasticity of supply and increase inflation volatility into the future. You know, in a couple words, she is saying that there are real secular pressures on inflation. Uh, and uh, when I heard Powell then reinforce that, you know, I, I don't think it helps us know if, if the Fed is going to stop after another 75 bips or another 100 bips. 
but it suggests to me that they're going to stay a lot longer. They're going to stay higher for longer. And that Brainerd, who has been considered the dove on the Fed, this doesn't sound to me like it's dovish. This sounds to me like she is very, very worried about secular inflation and very low potential growth. Low potential growth, high persistent inflation. To the degree that you hear more and more analysts and, and strategists talking about those concerns, given the Fed is now talking about it, I think the more it really comes to the fore that people are going to realize that that 30 years of the great moderation, that was the anomaly. That period of high growth and low and falling inflation is over. Yeah, I mean, we talk about non-farm payrolls. We added 263,000 jobs uh, this past month, and that's after you know basis points have been raised by 375 or so. Uh, I mean, saw strong gains in leisure and hospitality. So everything is still running very hot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not, you know, you know, I think the non-farm payroll sucks overall as, as yeah. a data series. Yeah. Like you've got weekly claims. Weekly claims are starting to come up a little bit. But even if you look at NFP, if you look at like the, 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 the long moving average line, I mean, don't forget, it was only a year and a half ago or so that we were averaging like 500,000 jobs. And then we were averaging around 300,000. And now it's around 200. If you look at the household survey, totally different data set. That suggests we haven't added any jobs in the last six months. Uh, and over the last couple months, we're starting to bleed jobs. So, you know, the argument is that the household series picks up inflections better. I have no doubt that the employment situation is going to continue to get weaker and it's going to be led by housing. And people should not underestimate how important housing is to the overall economy. You know, Morgan Stanley, um, you had at least one strategist, you said that really we could be seeing a double-digit drop again early this coming year. Um, Wilson's, you know, he said that the yeah. S&P could drop as much as 24% um, from Tuesday's close in early, you know, yeah. 2023. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? That seems like, yeah. I know valuations are still pretty frothy, but yeah. That, that seems just really aggressive in, in light of what's happened over the last couple of months. Yeah. Mike, I used to work with Mike Wilson. Uh, mm -hmm. He and I were in equities at Morgan Stanley over 20 years ago. He was in tech sales and I was in capital markets. But he and I joined a meeting every, every day together for a couple of years. Uh, he's a brilliant guy. And I think he's right. And I, I, I think that his big concern is that earnings estimates are still way, way too high for next year. And, you know, I've written about this. The street is at around 220 for next year. I think Wilson believes we're going to closer to 200 for next year. He thinks that the economy will be in recession and there's even downside to that 200 number. Look, if you play with any individual company model, the number one factor is going to be the revenue line. And once the revenue line starts to come down, everything delevers. Every line gets tougher. The gross margin line gets tougher, tougher. the operating profit line gets tougher, uh, and, and the model delevers. So if you have a meaningful growth slowdown, um, you are going to have a meaningful earnings recession. So I think a better number for next year is 200. And look, let's think about it. We're at, we're, I'm looking at the Dow down 2% today, and you're still at around 4,000. I'm sorry, 4,000 on the S&P. You're still at around 20 times that number for next year. Uh, so with a little bit of multiple contraction, you, you it, it's very easy to see how Wilson could suggest that maybe a 3,200, 3,500 range makes more sense for the S&P. No, and it kind of falls into, you know, what we've discussed about 
long-term 60-40s and, and, and everything else. It comes and gives credence to, you know, a lot of literature that's been out over the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's get to the rail strikes. Big development there. Um, had the votes to end the strike. Uh, they added votes to also incorporate more sick days. That didn't go through. But it looks like the strike ended. Um, you know, it would have been highly inflationary had we let the strike go through, of course. Right now, wages are up 25% uh, over a couple, few years for, for the strikers. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on how it played out yeah. and um, yeah. what it means? I mean, you know, look, job leavers, what was it in the household survey, job leavers, people reporting that they've got a new job, their salaries were up 15% year over year. These rail strikers are going to get a 25% improvement over three years. Mm -hmm. How the Atlanta Fed uh, wage growth tracker is running at 6-7%. So they only got a little bit better uh, than kind of what everybody is enjoying overall. Look, I just don't think Biden has said very clearly that he wants to be the most pro-union president in history. Uh, but I just don't think that he, look, you're always in political mode. I, I know the midterms are over, but you're, everybody's already yeah. focused on 2024. And I think that if he let the rail strike go, all of a sudden it, it pushes the economy deeper, probably more deeply and more quickly into a recession. And he's going to be the one paying the price for that. So I think he made a political decision. I think what's interesting is when you hear Biden and I think this is totally um, happenstance. Biden talks about he wants to grow the economy from the middle out, from the middle class out. And I think the fact is, is if you look at more, you know, uh, in more income is now accruing to workers. So he's going to get what he wants, but it really is because of all the secular dynamics of all the stuff that we talk about that have created this worker shortage that we've had. And I think you're gonna see far more labor strikes, far more organized labor activity. You'll see organized labor activity in the service industry, and you're gonna see more organized labor in parts of the economy like the American South that you had never really seen it before. So what he did what he had to do from a political standpoint, but the age of the new age, the return of labor, it's here. And I think that you are going to see a growing American middle class. And that's a good thing for the United States of America. It's not a great thing for markets, for inflation, for equity multiples, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I suppose I wasn't shocked by the number of people who voted, um, who voted down the strike. I was surprised there was definitely some posturing from Republicans like Ted Cruz, uh, who who are now kind of trying to eke out a labor, pro-labor element of the Republican Party. But, uh, you know, it just, I guess it, things turned out what I expected them to. Yeah. Ted is going to be busy trying to shut down government because we want to add IRS agents. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody that likes that guy. Maybe I don't know enough Republicans, but even my Republican friends don't like that guy. Even the guys who went to college with him don't like him. No, Boehner, you know, uh, certainly did it on his way out. So, you know, he's definitely one of the more eclectic members of our Senate. But Boehner hated him. Yeah, no, Boehner was not a fan. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess in terms of geopolitics right now, 
European Union officials have set Russian oil price cap at $60 a barrel. Yeah. Uh, it was happened after several intense days of negotiations. I think it's going to be tough to enforce uh, on my end. Uh, Russia's seemed to really, you know, shore up or mitigate a lot of damage just because of relationships that exist with the Chinese and India in particular. Uh, and I, I think that can, you know, they'll be able to siphon off enough oil to offset any of that. But Yeah, I, you know, you and I were talking before we started. I mean, is India really going to make a moral decision not to? I mean, they are totally reliant on imports for oil. Are they, is Modi really going to make a moral decision on this? He doesn't seem to have any indication that he will. Xi will continue to take oil from India as well. And hell, on the natural gas side, the Europeans are taking shipments of LNG from yeah. Russia. So like there just is so, I mean, there's a lot of posturing, there's there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of hand wringing, like we really need to do the right thing. But you get a really cold winter in uh, Europe and you really get nat gas storage levels to start to come down. You're going to see a lot of gas to oil switching and you're just not going to see the resolve that you would hope to see. Um, unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. So I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be much enforcement on these price limits. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, in the price, I mean, so one is obviously trying to make Russia a pry in terms of energy markets, but two is obviously continuing what is now a major proxy war. And it seems like there's still quite a bit of alignment on that with, uh, you know, Macron and Biden, you know, spoke, uh, they had a meeting and it seems like that alliance has stood um, solid for the time being, uh, large in part due to there's actually been tangible successes on the ground and, um, you know, definitely scenes of, you know, Russians kind of panicking and, and losing, losing footing, but yeah i mean thank god the ukrainians have done as well as they've done because i i you know i don't think there was would have been much resolve uh if if the russians had really been more successful in this thing but uh, you know it's amazing that their incompetence uh military incompetence just seems to get it, it more and more clear mm-hmm. with each passing month but it also seems like we're going to go into a winter where you have probably a little less fighting and this whole thing just goes sideways and mm-hmm. we're going to be, and we could very well, I mean, I have no idea of course, but what's to say that we won't be dealing with this, you know, as we approach next winter. Yeah. I, and you know, I remember when the Syrian civil war kicked off, I mean, who would have known that that still hasn't, I mean, obviously it doesn't right. look like it would in the early days, but that's 10 plus years and that still hasn't led to a, you know, final culmination. So, uh, right. Not saying I hope or think that this thing will last a decade, but when you have international actors from all over the world who just keep, you know, providing dry powder, oftentimes it does. Yeah. You know, whether that's us and NATO, I mean, Syria looked exactly the same between Turkey, Russia, us. Uh, you know, you, you just keep supplying different armies; they, they'll they'll fight for a long time. But. Sure, sure, and Putin obviously does not care. Mm-hmm. No, clearly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? You know, we're wrapping the year up. Um, you know, I, I think the I think the most important factor for the markets will be Q4 earnings, and I, I think you're going to see, especially around consumer and consumer discretionary. I think you're going to see numbers continue to come down. As much as there has been, as much as we've all been kind of impressed by the 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 
by the resiliency of the American consumer. Um, you know, the wealth effect from housing coming down, markets coming down, cryptos coming down, the fact that we're still dealing with negative real wage growth, um, you know, and the fact that savings rates have come down so much and you see credit card balances really start to balloon. Everything points to that we are going to continue to slow. This is going to be a slower Christmas uh, and consumption is going to come down. So it'll be interesting to see where the narrative shifts, right? The number one concern of the market to this point has been how fast is inflation going to come down? Well, as it becomes clear that inflation is starting to come down, at least on the good side, uh, the next question becomes how much is earnings going to come down? And and I, I think that as you keep seeing those earnings announcements, uh, it becomes clear that 220 isn't a realistic number for the S&P. A number around 200 or lower is much more realistic. I think you start to see uh, markets really start to fade again, and and we start to test the lows that we made uh, a couple months ago. Sounds good. Well, thanks for your time, Tim. Uh, for our listeners and subscribers, thanks. We'll be on next week, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.